Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined all together in the studio. We may not be next to each other, but we're in the studio, which is a big step for us, guys. So I'm joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling in the other room. Shotty, we're so glad to have you in our vicinity. Hey, guys. I, I, <laughs> I don't see you, but you're over there. I know you're over there. I can hear you. Uh, A-plus acting. Well done. <laughs> there is a wall in the way, but yeah, it's, it's fun to be back in the studio finally. You know what? It's 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 almost game day. Like that's only a couple of days away. It seems so far away for so long, and finally, I think we're gonna get to play some football this weekend. Yeah, I'm excited. Like I always say, it's true. This week we have a fun show for you guys today. You want to know why? Because Shotgun just said it. We have a game to preview. A game in 2020. A uh, very exciting USC versus ASU. Trojans had to start fast, 9 a.m. And we had some late breaking news uh, in regards to the game. Not really the game but the coverage of the game uh and we'll get into it don't worry and we'll talk about our interviews this week with usc's coordinators both graham harrell and todd orlando we learned some tidbits this week we'll be sure to share those with you guys then we have some injury updates we got one today actually about drake jackson and how he's gonna fit into usc's defense on saturday uh but as always guys you can call us 5124 tunnel our intern micah is standing by to chat with you all while he screens you and then you can join us and talk to us about whatever you you want within reason you can also tweet at us hashtag tunnel vision i'll put your tweet up on the screen wherever you are watching whether it's facebook periscope or youtube we're monitoring your comments we can't put them up on the screen but we'll be monitoring them and answering them for sure so make sure uh you talk to us we love it when you do but guys like i said it is game week very excited about that now the thing that we have debated hotly on this show if you have been checking out for a little bit we've been debating back and forth the 9 a.m kickoff that usc is going to have uh, at the start of the season Saturday. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. Shotgun, I think you are not a fan of it. And then, <laughs> hold on. And then Ryan's a big proponent of it. Just because, you know, you get a lot of eyeballs on the game. That's what the Pac-12 wants. 
Well, part of that those eyeballs is the crew that is talking about the game that's going to preview it. It's a crew of Urban Meyer, uh, Matt Leinert, Reggie Bush, Brady Quinn, and the host Rob Stone. Well, right before we went on air, uh, the, the New York Post uh, reported a story based on sourcing, so it's not official yet. But apparently, all of those guys are out due to COVID protocols. So the big fanfare, who were they were going to lead in the game with a pregame show, they are out. See, now it's not too bad, I will say, because you are getting Fox NFL Sunday crew uh, filling them in. So you have like Terry Bradshaw, uh, Howie Long. So you get Still some names there, but not the crew you were expecting, uh, especially when you get Reggie Bush and Matt Liner in the Coliseum. That's always much-watched television, so it's a different thing, guys. I guess I want to start with Ryan first. You were a big proponent of this. How does this? How, does your views change at all now that you're not getting the, the fanfare as much? Yeah, how 2020 is that? that you can't, <laughs> like, the, the crew, the crew that's, like, pregame show that's going to be there at 7 in the morning or whatever gets the Rona. Like, what is going on here? This is crazy. I think the important thing is the Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt stuff. Like, you want them to be there. Jenny Taff, it's a great crew. I love their Fox crew. I think that's going to be something that's important. But part of the drama, if you remember last year, USC played Utah in the Coliseum, and it was this big game. Keaton Slovis wasn't going to play. I mean, he had, or he had, well, um, Matt Fink comes into the game. It's not that he started the game. And you have Reggie Bush and Matt Liner on the sideline, but Urban Meyer is sitting there like over Clay Helton's shoulder and there's all this pressure on him. Like, that was great. And it actually probably motivated the Trojan team and they end up getting the victory. So I thought that was cool. I don't know how many people would be seeing that that early in the morning, but it'd be neat to see that crew over there at the Coliseum. I'm not sure if they're going to have the NFL crew bother and come down to the Coliseum at this point. Maybe they've all the logistics are already set up or they're just like, you know what? We got to change it all. Let's just do everything in studio, which probably would make a lot of sense but just something else that takes away from the ambiance of, of the ambiance yeah like just thinking about this game with no band and no travel i talked to uh, joanne asman this week and she's the trainer for traveler and you know years since 1961 traveler has been running around the coliseum won't happen this year i talked to dr bartner you know each and every week and they're not the band isn't going to be there so they're going to do their like halftime show and everything but it's just one more thing like there have been one really cool aspect of having this 9 a.m game uh and now apparently according to new york post that's not going to happen Shadi, your thoughts? I can't wait to hear Terry Bradshaw just regale us with Louisiana Tech days, you know, because he's going to have so much knowledge about Keaton Slovis. No, I mean, they're going to do their homework and do as much as they can in the next couple of weeks, but it's completely different. The insights that, you know, that are going to be presented from you know, Reggie Bush and Urban Meyer and that group who've been studying this game coming up, you know, since it's been on the schedule, I'm sure they've checked out some USC Arizona State film. They're going to be talking about that Jaden Daniels, Keaton Slovis matchup. Now you've got guys that are basically thrown in as a replacement with three days to go, and they may have, you know, there's a Thursday night football game that they, you know, I think Fox has as well this week. So those guys are going to be preparing for that. So they're going to be on that. And maybe they have a day to prepare for USC, Arizona State. It's just not going to be the same quality. And I don't think that they're going to ask them to come in uh, and be live on location or anything. So I think you're going to lose that ambience factor as well, especially with just so little going on around the Coliseum. You wanted to see that extra, you know, that extra luster that's brought from having the crew of Reggie and Matt Liner, you know, in the Coliseum or near the Coliseum. So it's going to be different. And it's unfortunate that this is going to be another thing that kind of takes away the luster of this, this matchup. It's at 9 a.m. Ryan's really excited about the 9 a.m. matchup. I think everyone's going to be paying attention because there's not many good games this week at that time slot compared to last week. There were some, some better ones. But 
you know, you're losing a, a, a what could be a key part of, of this matchup and you know just the buildup of it to get people hyped. Anyone who's watching that that pregame show, I think they would get extra hyped and want to stay and watch that if they're listening to Matt Liner and Reggie Bush beforehand. Yeah, the lead in it's hurt it hurts your lead in because that's yeah. you know it's a pretty good show. We had a, a comment on uh, Periscope CT SUJ. Uh, Desmond Howard did uh, College Dame Day remotely. Why can't Fox do that? And we don't, I, I mean, this literally just broke like a minute before we went live. We don't know. Maybe Keeley's got some more so information. So Fox Sports came out with a statement, if you want me to read it. They said, in accordance with CDC guide, guidance, Los Angeles County uh, Department of Public Health Safety Guidelines, and out of an abundance of caution for our team, this Sunday, Saturday's big noon kickoff college football pregame show will not include the program's regular cast and will and be, and be will be condensed to a one-hour show starting at 11 a.m. Uh, from the Fox studio in Los Angeles. So yeah. not even going to be a full, you know, the full two hours. College, college game day, ESPN show goes for three hours and sometimes i think last year was even four hours with the first hour starting on espnu so this tells you what's going on with fox and them not being able to put up the same uh, amount of time and investing in it so that's that hurts this matchup even more and the potential of driving that audience you know throughout because espn one of the things they do is they drive you know, audience throughout their college game day, there's every 15 minutes or so, you're going to get updates on the games are going to be. So if you're checking in and you watch 10 minutes of it, you find out, oh yeah, USC, Arizona State are playing on our channel later that day. You're not going to get that as much with this being the case of them shortening it to an hour and, you know, losing that that uh, that that A-team, I guess. Yeah, and then real quick on the, the original question about, yeah, I mean, when there's one, one member of the crew that's going to do remote, it's one thing, but to try to put everybody remotely, um, if they're set up for a studio show or whatever, they're probably just going to, they've got other talent there that sounds like they're just going to replace them. So I think because the whole crew got uh, apparently tagged with the Rona, then... Uh, <laughs> They're going to be out. So, yeah, this is just crazy. I mean, this is how 2020 is. This is very 2020. Like, this is so – this is making me even more excited for this game. Like, now, like, <laughs> you want to see the Pac-12 play at 9 in the morning? And I want to see what Terry Bradshaw does trying to, like – he's going to, like, that key down slow. But, like, he, you know, he's not going to know what's going on. So, it'll be great. Yeah, I guess so. You have to feel for the USC folks. I guess ASU, too. They really wanted to have this be this big thing with a big noon kickoff, and then it's kind of like, wah, wah. But maybe it's like you said, Ryan, because it's going to be weird, maybe more people tune in. Who knows? Hey, yeah. this is this is classic Pac-12 after dawn, you know, just like <laughs> we expected. You know, something, something's going to change, and something's going to, you know, force things to be different. And maybe that means we end up with a classic game as well. I think it could turn out that way. There's some other COVID news that are breaking. I don't know if you guys saw, but Cal released a statement. They've had a player uh, test positive for it. So it's kind of you start going, uh, is, is this going to be an issue, especially when you see what has happened with Wisconsin in yep. particular and the fact that, hey, they have a shortened season as well, and they've already lost two games now. And if they lose one more, they're out of the running for the Big Big Ten, being eligible for the championship game. So it, it just, it just per further puts in mind that, Everyone has to do their part on these teams going into things to make sure that, that they can play these games. And it starts with, with the team, but it's also everyone around the team as well, that everyone's taking, taking uh, care of things and making sure they're on top of their, their P's and Q's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The good thing is USC and Arizona State, they, they've not had high COVID numbers. We haven't seen any kind of outbreaks in either one of those programs lately. So it looks like going into the opener, things are going to be okay. Travel and everything starts happening, who knows? But it can yeah. just... It just happened. I mean, it just happened. Trevor Lawrence just out of the blue. Boom. Like Nick Saban, I know, is a false positive. Boom. The whole Fox crew, like, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, this is a, uh, it's, 
it's a crazy time for living in, but I'm still excited for college football this weekend in the Pac-12. So excited. <laughs> and talking about interesting wrinkles, I guess, if you will, check the forecast uh, yesterday, actually. Ooh. Why are you rolling your eyes, Shotgun? I, because just, I'm not excited about it. Oh, well, yeah, neither am I. But it's an exciting wrinkle. Uh, USC is supposed to play in uh, morning rain. Morning rain to kick off ASU-USC, so that'll be an extra added little wrinkle to the game. Yeah. Uh, I'm some not wet excited. ball drills. I'm not excited about it because I just rented some uh, photography equipment, um, and now I have to take care of someone else's equipment potentially in the rain. Uh, we are going to be, you know, the site will be in attendance. You know, Keeley, Chris Torino, and I will be in attendance. It's going to be different. I'm shooting photos. However, I'm 39 rows up in the stand shooting photos. So that's why I'm uh, renting some extra equipment to, to give me a little bit more length of there. But we'll see how things change. Obviously, if you do if you do have wet ball drills and have to do that, I think you have to say that USC probably has an advantage there because they get a little bit of rain, whereas you don't really desert. get that much in the desert at this time of year. So I don't know they've been practicing too much out there doing those type of drills either. True. Yeah, and then you got so just to everyone know, like I'm normally at all these games. I'm not going to be there limiting our credentials, so I'm going to let Keely and Shotgun and and Chris go. But yeah, they're you guys are going to be outside exposed. So like the rain and everything, like everything's got to be open. Uh, you know, Chris is going to be on the roof. Shotgun's going to be in the stands, essentially. This is weird. And that the Pac-12 won't allow regular reporters onto the field. Keeley's normally on the field shooting video. Only, like, these pool photographers are allowed in there, like AP Getty and uh, USA Today. So those are the only people allowed by the Pac-12 down on the field. So definitely going to be different the way we're covering this, but we will have people in attendance. I'll be at home, probably breakfast burrito and a mimosa, watching, <laughs> tweeting about the game putting up some stuff so yeah so check it all out i'll try to do something maybe like on this like a special tunnel vision at halftime i'm gonna set something up that could be a fun thing to do fun. uh from my couch we can you know get everyone on we can discuss what's going on we might just do it on one of the platforms i'm not sure if we'll do it on all of them but whatever we'll discuss what's going on in the game uh, at halftime i think that'll be fun fun times see and the thing is is obviously i would love to be on the field and have as much much access as possible but you also have to wonder just given how weird that what happened with the fox group maybe this is why you have those protocols in advance you don't want reggie bush dapping up someone and then suddenly <laughs> your, your season's over you know like you maybe it's good to have some separation just because it's such a uh there's no margin for error really with this season to play seven in seven um but let's get to some actual football shall we gentlemen uh let's start with asu's offense we got to talk to usc's defensive coordinator todd orlando this morning and basically Asking him, how are you preparing for this ASU offense, given that your t uh, USC defense hasn't played Jaden Daniels yet, uh, they have a new offensive coordinator, and ASU is losing a lot of talent, so how do you prepare for guys you haven't really seen uh, get a lot of playing time? Uh, Ryan, actually, I know you're the Pac-12 whiz over here. Uh, <laughs> you look confused by that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you do the Pac-12 uh, podcast, podcast of Champions, champions yes. podcast. I'm trying to hype you up, and you're Plug. not letting me do it. Plug. See, there you go. What is your read on this ASU offense? Yeah. Yeah, so you, you bring in Zach Hill from Boise State. They're probably going to incorporate more tight ends, even some fullbacks uh, into the offense. I think it's going to be something that's going to help uh, Jaden Daniels. He's got a group of young receivers. Uh, Frank Darby's going to be there. He's a, he's a senior. But, you know, losing guys like Eno Benjamin and, Eno Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk, they're going to um, have a repurposed, really offensive line. They bring in some transfers. They lost a bunch of guys from last year. But they had their best recruiting class as far as wide receivers go in their history. Jay Daniels is the highest recruited quarterback that Arizona State has ever signed. They're really excited about him. We talk about Keaton Slovis from year one to year two. 
same sort of thing. And I know it's a new scheme, and we talked about this before, but I talked to Chris Cartman, who publishes uh, Sun Devil Source this week. And really, what happened over the summer was really invaluable for Jaden Daniels and that whole offense because the coaches were on the field with the players daily. I mean, they were they had 20 hours a week to work with these guys. Normally, after spring football, coaches and players, no, they can't, they can't interact like that on the field. But the NCAA allowed programs to do that because spring practice was canceled. They actually got half of their spring practices in. They got seven. So some of the install for their new coordinators was done then. But then throughout the summer, they're on the field. It's 11-on-11 stuff. You really could go through all the nuances of this offense because they installed everything in spring, and then they can kind of work on it throughout the summer. So when USC couldn't even gather in groups of you know 10 or what or more than 12, ASU had their full team out on the field doing work all summer in a, a time you normally couldn't do. So according to Chris and other people I've talked to at Arizona State, they actually got a lot more work, players and coaches, than they ever would have during a normal season. So I think they're going to, ASU, even though you got a new coordinator, is going to be ready. And I think this is going to be a really dynamic offense. You didn't see Jaden Daniels last year play against USC. So it's going to be a really good test for, uh, for Todd Orlando. He's a dynamic athlete. And I think, you know, USC is going to have to come out and play well. Because I, I, I have a feeling ASU is going to come out guns blazing. And USC has better talent, but USC has to be ready to play. If they come out slow, I think they can get punched in the mouth. And you're going to have to play catch up a little bit. Chuck, and you were in that uh, presser with Todd Orlando. I know you got a feel for what he was saying about how he's preparing. What did you take away from from just his whole press conference? Yeah, I, I think exactly what Ryan talked about, how the time during this offseason, the NCAA allowing teams to do a little bit more than they normally would be able to do. Todd Orlando said, you know, we were actually able to you know learn the defense better than maybe we would have uh, previously because – you know, you're having these meetings and you're having them all the time because the coaches aren't out on the on the road recruiting. They're not holding camps during the summer. So they were really focused on, you know, the, the install of the defense. Now, the thing that had to change was once camp started, they needed to go run and be physical and hit things and go full speed. And he said he felt like that had happened in the first two weeks. But like Ryan said, I completely agree. Arizona State, big advantage with the time that they got to spend on the field that USC was not because of local restrictions, but also because they got those extra spring practices in. And I think that you're going to see that they're going to have some wrinkles that USC is going to have to adjust to. You know, Todd Orlando talked about how, you know, their first 10, 11, 15 plays that they have, they're scripted. They're going to look super crisp, Arizona State that is. How do we adjust to that afterwards? That's what they have to figure out. You know, if Arizona State goes down and drives down the first drive, hey, it's okay. What adjustments can you then make and how quickly can, can USC adjust to what Arizona State's doing? And the same thing with Arizona State. You look at last year and Arizona State, it took them a quarter before they, their defense adjusted to USC. Now it helped that Keaton Slovis went down in that game, but USC scored 28 points in the first quarter. I think it was three the rest of the game. So I think that it's, it's a big difference when you're able to, you know, when, when you're able to get out to that quick, quick start, you got an advantage. But you have to continue making adjustments as the game goes along. And whichever team does that better, especially with two new coordinators, I think that that's going to be the difference maker in this game, potentially. I think Jaden Daniels is going to be really good. I think you talk about how the playmakers are different this year. You don't have Brandon Ayuk, you don't have Eno Benjamin, but you do have Johnny Wilson, a guy who's 6'5", 6'6", huge weapon from Calabasas. You got L.V. Bunkley Shelton from Sarah. Both guys at USC recruited at the mm-hmm. wide receiver position. Uh, you have both of those guys are going to be out there. They're listed as uh, co-starters, uh, you know, at different positions on the depth chart at Arizona State. They're going to be hyped up. Normally in a game like this, going to the Coliseum, didn't sign with USC, but from Southern California, they'd be super hyped for this. 
maybe they you know get a little too amped up and they get uh, you know they make an early mistake or something. But with no crowd, you're not you're going to have some different things that are going to be affecting players. And I don't think that's one of the things that will happen for a lot of players. You talked about it a lot with in, in the MLB playoffs. You saw young guys were able to excel a lot quicker because you didn't have the crowd bearing down on you. You didn't have that you know that extra tension that you would normally have. And I think that's going to be the case for some young guys. And Arizona State normally, I think those guys would be a little too amped and maybe they make a mistake. I think that they won't have that issue. And one other thing with Arizona State's offense. They bring in two offensive linemen grad transfers. Henry Haddis from Stanford. They bring in a guy from Texas A&M as well. I think that's a big advantage for them having this extra time in the offseason like Ryan talked about. You bring in, you have some experienced linemen. I think it, that uh, if they can protect Jaden Daniels, it can, be a, it can be a long day for USC. They're going to have to make those adjustments pretty quick. Uh, you mentioned crowd noise, Shotgun. I'm actually going to jump in and take a call. Uh, we have a call from Dave from Iowa, I believe. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yeah, hello. Hi, it's Dave from Iowa. Um, first off, sorry, Shotgun. Johnny Wilson is actually 6'7", listed on uh, ASU's roster. And two, I'm just kind of curious. Um, like, roughly two to three weeks ago when the when the um, schedule came out, you guys weren't didn't seem, like, too nervous, if you will, for the ASU game. But now it's week of – now it's game week, and – we're, 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 we're hearing about kind of nerve-wracking news, if you will, about ASU's offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Well, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we don't get nervous. We're not playing in the game or anything, <laughs> so we're, we're cool. We're chill. But uh, I think I've talked about ASU being a potential threat all along. And the, the thing I originally said was you don't want to play ASU early because of those advantages. You'd much rather play them a few games in after USC kind of gets their feet wet because that's going to be one of the two. You know, there's only really two tough games in the Pac-12 South. You get them like two of the first three weeks and ASU right out of the gate. I just think that's a bit of an advantage for ASU. So I, I don't think I've changed my tune on what's going on there. I think USC is still the more talented team. They're favored by 10 and a half points or so. I think USC is going to win the game, but... I don't know if I would be given that many points win by that much. But, yeah, I, I don't think my opinion's changed. I thought ASU was going to be a dangerous team, partly because during the pandemic they just got to practice a lot more than USC did. Yeah, and Ryan's brought this up multiple times about Coastal Carolina. Still undefeated right now, and they're one of the few teams that, that got all their spring practices in, we believe. Um, so, you know, teams that got that extra time in the spring, USC got one non-pad day in. That was it. Um, and then, obviously, everything kind of shut down from there. Arizona State getting seven practices in, and especially when you're implementing new defense and new offense, those are crucial. And then that extra time that they were able to spend on the field this summer, I think those are real big advantages for them. And we said from the beginning, going to be an advantage for them, and they're a team you want to avoid early in the season uh, if you can because of, of that potential. I think with USC, I think one of the things that give them, uh, you, you know, that you think that there's – a great opportunity for them to overcome that is that they're implementing a new defense, but they have a ton of veterans on that defense. You feel confident that those veterans, you know, know, have seen enough that they'll be able to make adjustments on the fly just within themselves. They don't have to wait on the coaches to then make the adjustments. I think you have guys like Isaiah Pulamau and Talanoa Hufunga in the back end being able to point out things to everyone. That's something Todd Orlando talked about today. He said that the group that's probably been the most impressive for him has been that safety group because you have so much experience back there. They're mature guys, and they'll be able to help out with the, the young guys be 
know, take the young guys under their wing and say, hey, this is how we do it, or hey, look, this is what happened on this play. Here, here's how we can make an adjustment before the coaches even get to them. Right, and I think to back you up, Ryan, I think where you're coming from is that you're saying, you know, if you look at what USC's track record, they start slow. Sometimes they can beat themselves, and I think that's just what you're pointing to is when you don't have uh, as much time as your opponent and you have to start fast, it just that builds up against USC from what we know and what they've done in prior seasons. Not so much, hey, ASU's this big powerhouse and USC should be scared. I think it's more USC has always shown the potential to beat itself. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how the season's going to start. I mean, any team can come out. We've seen, you know, what was that, the uh, BYU-Navy uh, game? I mean, just BYU looked like a professional team and, and Navy looked like they'd never played football before. Like, <laughs> yeah. You could see something like that. Like, who, we don't know. But there's going to be these sort of X-factor advantages. And, you know, I see a couple of them on ASU's side. Now, the big advantage is USC's played at home. They're a more talented team. They bring back their entire, you know, pretty much their entire offense. Um, but, you know, they do have a new defensive scheme and having ASU all that extra practice time, that could be a factor. 9 a.m. could be a factor. I mean, who we just don't know uh, at this point. But those are just things you kind of look for and like, oh, that really came into play. Or, no, nope, that didn't really even matter. They just came out and, you know, they won. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's not – I don't think ASU is a like a world-beater type of program. But of the teams left on USC's schedule, they are one of those teams that could come up and, be and uh, beat you. Chuckin, you look a little uh, darker. A light went out for some reason. <laughs> oh no! Uh, that's okay. We'll figure it out. Uh, as I mentioned, we're previewing you. We're previewing USC and ASU. We talked about ASU's offense. Let's switch to the other side. Talk about their defense. Some familiar faces, guys, on the defense. First off, a uh, first-time position coach, Chris Hawkins, uh, who is a familiar face around USC's team, and then Jack Jones in the secondary as a cornerback, uh, used to, former Trojan for USC. Guys, what are you expecting from this ASU defense? They have two uh, co-defensive uh, coordinators, uh, Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce. I believe Graham uh, Harrell was asked, are you watching Bengals film at all? And he was just like, you know what, we don't really know what we're getting, to be honest with you. What did you take away from what Harrell had to say and, and basically what you're expecting from this ASU a defense. Yeah, I mean, Graham Harrell talked about, uh, well, could you watch what Marvin Lewis was doing? He wasn't really calling the defenses when he was at Cincinnati. So are you really going to get much out of that? It's going to be more of an NFL type of scheme. Uh, I don't know if that's going to work great against the air raid. It's a four-man front, like more like a traditional 4-3, but they're trying to do it so you're not reading and reacting more. It's more about just like you get, you, you know what you got to do and just go out and do it. You can play fast. You can play aggressive. And that's the style that uh, they want to do on that defensive side of the ball. And there's, like you said, some familiar faces. Chris Hawkins knows the USC receivers well. Uh, Jack Jones obviously played at USC. There's guys like Merlin Robertson that, you know, USC could have recruited. Uh, Sarah High School, I believe, right, Shotgun? And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a guy like him was just like a high performer, and USC passed him over. Now, USC got a great, you know, linebacker recruiting class that year. But he's been a stud since he's been in ASU. So guys like that will have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, I look for you know a more aggressive style, but it's going to be unique. You got you know Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce, more of an NFL kind of scheme. Are they going to be able to like? Is, I mean, what if the air raid just tears it up? I don't know. I and mean, we could see something like that happening. But uh, it's going to be one of the interesting uh, matchups to watch. And yeah, you know, Graham Hare wasn't sure really what to prepare for, but he always comes back to like we're going to execute and do what we got to do. And and yeah, that makes sense. You got a lot of talent. Just. Go out and run your stuff and see what happens. And if you have to make some adjustments because they're doing a good job of stopping you, you make adjustments. Shadi? You look at, at, at the, the defense that Arizona State has, and it's not only that 
you know, what are they going to run? But who is going to be calling those plays? You have Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce as co-defensive coordinators. You know, they may have different styles, and, you know, they may be each calling different things. So you may have different segments. Who knows exactly how Arizona State plans to, to parcel it out as far as the play calling. So I, I think that's hard to gauge as, as well. Um, the, the biggest thing is just do what you do and do it well. And USC's offense isn't super complicated, so that's what USC is going to come down to. Cam Graham, Graham Harrell... Can USC's offense do what they do and do it well? Can they then make adjustments when they see what Arizona State is doing? I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, with, with what we've seen in the past, Graham Harrell has made some great halftime adjustments. You saw that in the Notre Dame game last year. You've seen it in a couple other games where they make some adjustments at halftime. But can you do it faster this year? That's going to be a big question, especially opening game of the season. You don't want to fall behind by a couple of three touchdowns against Arizona State when you know they have a, you know, a talented quarterback like Jaden Daniels and you know a good offensive line with a new defense there's some, some question marks there you don't want to put trust in hey we're going to be able to come back with our offense in the second half make adjustments quicker and one of the things Graham Harrell said is that's something you you'll see more in the second year of this offense is because now the players know where they are but also where everyone else around them on the offense is supposed to be so they should be able to help make those adjustments a little bit quicker so that's something I'm going to be watching for is how quickly the adjustments are made uh, unfortunately, we've, you know, being 39 rows up, I won't be able to, you know, hear the sideline conversation. That's one of the things I'm always kind of interested about and, and looking forward to as I'm walking behind the, the sidelines and stuff going from, from end zone to end zone is hearing the tidbits that you hear on the sidelines. But we won't get that. But it'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments they do try to make. And I'm excited to see how this offense does in year two with Keaton Slovis, if they can keep him upright and healthy He's already getting, just today, you know, Pro Football Focus put out that he's the likely number one pick next year. That's high praise already. Um, so you're looking at a player like that, and we've heard nothing but rave reviews from him, from his teammates, and from the defensive side of the ball. Talking to Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele talking about how Keaton Slovis, they can play perfect defense, and he's still putting balls where only his receivers can, can, uh, can make plays. So looking forward to seeing what this offense looks like in year two. Now, for USC, not necessarily ASU, but one of the the unknowns, the more unknowns, is just special teams because that's not something that guys like to talk about a lot over Zoom and we can't see it. Uh, Coley White on YouTube said, any word about special teams? Is this a strong or unknown quality for the Trojans this year? I think it's going to be a lot stronger. Uh, Sean Snyder's coming in. They always had talent uh, around you know, across the board. They got like five guys on scholarship that are specialists. Um, I think you have a, a really you know, solid snapper that just doesn't make mistakes. Um, you got a punter with all the potential in the world. You got a couple good kickers. And you know, Chase McGrath has already made some really clutch kicks in his career. And great athletes that can return the football. I think you're going to see some of those big mistakes being avoided. Uh, I think there's still going to be a big play potential, like we've seen from USC special teams in the past. But you take away, I think you're going to, the ceiling might raise a little bit. But you're also raising the floor. Like there was a big floor for USC special teams where all these hidden yards were getting lost, just not covering kicks, punts, whatever it was, making mistakes, fumbling, penalties, wearing the same number of jersey. Like there were so many special teams mistakes, not having enough people on the field. I don't think those are going to happen to nowhere, anywhere near the rate that we saw last year. So when you have the kind of talent USC has, it's not a very difficult schedule. I just feel like. Special teams is either going to be neutral or a positive as opposed to mostly having been a negative the last couple of years. Shotgun, I feel like you pained yourself uh, knowing the ins and outs of USC special teams the last couple of seasons. 
Are you? What's your take? Do you think you will experience more pain this season, or will it be a, a easier watch for more you? More pain. <laughs> I don't know that I've gotten the title as like the the special teams reporter or something. I don't know that I'm necessarily. I think I, maybe I pay more attention because I have to chart all the plays, just looking at who's being used and who's not. The biggest thing is just can you take away the simple mistakes? You know, can you get eleven guys on the field? And you know, Sean Snyder was asked about that in the the first time we talked to him. And he basically said, yeah, that, that crap ain't happening here. You know, that, that's basically what he said. So uh, USC is going to, you know, if they eliminate the dumb mistakes, they eliminate the, the easy-to-fix mistakes, then I think you, you just elevate the, the special teams and you take away those big mistakes from them, the, you know, the, the kickoff return for a touchdown, the, the kickoff return nearly for a touchdown against Arizona State last year. Right? USC's dominating the first quarter, and suddenly Arizona State gets the ball inside their five-yard line. You, you can't give them momentum like that and let them back in the game. And you saw things change when USC maybe could have just blown them out so uh, early, and then they would have just lost all their confidence to continue to play. Those are the type of things that I think you're going to eliminate this year. Will you have as many spectacular plays? That I think that USC has the playmakers, and we'll see if Gary Bryant gets healthy, if he can be a special returner. Sean Snyder has had several special returners during his time at Kansas State, and several of them have been freshmen, from Tariq Lockett, who's now killing it with the Seahawks, to some of the other guys they've had, have done it from their freshman year. He knows how to identify those type of players, so maybe Gary Bryant can follow in that lineage. Um, but I, I think that you're just going to see, like Ryan said, the floor is going to raise. You know, if you take away the, the bad plays at the bottom and you just get back to average on your, your bad plays, then I think that you can, this special teams group can be special again instead of special. Um, so I, I think like a guy like Ben Griffiths, we've heard a lot of – we saw booming kicks last year. I think you'll see more consistency this year. And if you get more consistency and eliminate the bottom, the bottom tier that USC had on their special teams in the past, I think the special teams looks a lot better. The comment section loves having little jokes about special teams. Uh, Truck Ranger says, can we get 11 guys running in the same direction? And 1960s kids said, said, so you're saying there won't be two number sevens on the opening kickoff? <laughs> if that happens two seasons in a row. That was a 2020 play that happened in 2019. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. That really was. True. Like, that, I still can't get over that. Like You had this horrible taste in your mouth coming off what five and seven season right and the first thing you get to do on the football field is put two guys with the same number on and it's just like and eliminate a huge play like that was just we should have known at that they're like you know what next year there's probably going to be a global pandemic you know like we should have known <laughs> ahead of his time <laughs> no um like i mentioned guys uh at the top of the show we're talking oh we talked to usc's coordinators i we mentioned it a little bit what they had to say this week any other tidbits you found interesting from either graham harrell or todd orlando you know I, okay so i'm lying in bed last night i didn't want to get your opinion go. so i started off i don't usually start off the questions on the zoom call and i'm like i was thinking about it and like one of the problems did you guys make fun of me when i asked this question <laughs> shotgun we got on zoom to do instant analysis and shotgun goes why did Ryan ask that? So. I don't know. Okay, so I'm thinking like I'm in bed last night, and one of the big problems with the USC defense last year wasn't just the points given up. And we talked about this on the show. It was they would give up like four first downs on a drive, and then maybe a team punts and USC gets the ball inside their 10. So it wasn't necessarily giving up points, but it you know there would be a third and long, and they wouldn't give it up. And I I didn't know the, the right way to ask, but I wanted to see, you know, hey, is there a philosophy of it's not just about – keeping teams out of the end zone it's really about hey we want to limit um you know the the time of possession that a team has uh, we want to you know improve the field position for the offense and you know it 
I think you get a good answer. It just wasn't, there wasn't anything like special you could say about that, but it's obviously something you want to do as a defense. But I don't know. I just thought about that last night. I'm like, eh, I'm going to ask Todd, Todd Orlando about it. So, so that came out of nowhere. You just wanted to ask that? Yeah. I just wanted to ask it. Like, well, because what well, we talked about this, one of the issues being that USC's defense would give up too many first downs. And so like the offense would make a huge play. And even if you didn't give up points or you gave up, you just give up like a long drive and you just, you took some of the momentum away. So if you can get a three and out, and I think USC's defense just worked really good at forcing those. That three and out's big. It's a special thing. And, and you give the ball back to the offense. Now you can start the snowball effect. So, and, you know, it's just one of those things I thought was a deficiency on USC's defense the last couple of years. Shotgun? Mm-hmm. Just, just hearing the question, we're like, what? Ryan came up with a very in-depth, in, in particular question. We're like, yeah. is Ryan writing a particular que- uh, uh, story, a story yeah. about this or, or nope. what's going on? Uh, so it, it, that is... With these Zoom calls, it is a little bit different. I do find myself before I go to bed, like, okay, I should write that question down to ask tomorrow. Um, because normally you watch practice and you go, okay, and formulate and just seeing what I see at practice. This is what I think needs to be asked um, or just going off of what is said. But now it's like, oh, I got time to prepare for this. Um, it's like when you have a sit down interview with someone one on one, you write down some questions that you definitely want to ask. So there's been a couple of times where I've asked certain questions. And that, one of those was asking Clay Helton on Monday, why don't you guys not scrimmage on Saturday? Um, and he, he gave a, uh, a reasonable answer, you know, that they, uh, that they had scrimmaged so much coming in that they felt that they were ready, but also that they were having, because of the election on Tuesday and everyone having Tuesday off, that they were going to practice, or they had already practiced on Sunday, and they were going to practice Monday, both of those being in pads. He didn't say if they were full pads or not, so I won't straight up say that it was both full pads. I don't think it was. But he said that we didn't want to go three straight days in pads, so... Uh, they decided not to scrimmage on Saturday, so that was an interesting, uh, an interesting take there that they felt like they were ready. So, and Todd Orlando kind of backed that up today. I asked him, you know, similar if he felt that they had seen enough, and he said, "Yeah, we're we're ready for for Saturday, basically." Yeah. Interesting. Now we have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go to him. I believe James from Boulder is on the line. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, hi, hi, guys. Hey, uh, hey, I just wanted to. Um get your one of your thoughts on this uh i don't know if you've been following asu the big fullback they picked up from ohio and uh if you if you read the uh the rap on him apparently he can deadlift 600 pounds and uh what the asu coaches are saying he's, he's going to hurt some people if you guys uh have you had any thoughts about him he's a uh, chip i think his name is Tremont uh um the he's uh by by all accounts he's he is one stud that's going to hurt some people any thoughts on uh how SC is going to take him on? Yeah, it's uh, Demonte Trainum. Uh, he's 230 pounds. I talked to Chris Cartman a little bit about him too. I mean, I don't think we're going to know much until we see him out there. But there's going to be some guys that are going to make some plays. You got a guy like that to the bruiser. If he breaks a big run, everyone's going to be talking about it. like, oh, this 230 pound guy like bullet over some people or breaks a tackle or things like that. Or like Wilson, you know, oh, he's six five or six seven or whatever he is makes a you know catch in the end zone over a couple of guys. Uh, you, I, you know, there's there's definitely some potential, but I I haven't seen really any tape of him or anything yet, so we're gonna have to get our first look when we see him on Saturday. Yeah, and he's he's being listed as a running back. He's in that the group of, of three guys, uh, including Daniel Nada and uh, and Rashad White. Rashad White is a JUCO player coming in. All three of these guys are brand new to Arizona State. You know, losing Eno Benjamin, 
Um, you know, they now are replacing basically the entire running back group there. And Rashad White was a UCLA commit originally out of Mount St. Jack in Northern California, I believe. And, you know, backed off that commitment, ended up at ASU, speedster. So we'll see, you know, what they try to do. I don't think that they're going to, you know, line up a guy as a fullback and, you know, try to bully their way like it's 1980s Nebraska football or anything. Um, I, I think that the, the offense that Zach Hill runs has some things where you can put a fullback in there, but I think you're still going to see, you know, mostly single back sets rather than a bunch of I formation or anything. Thanks, James, for the call. My one contribution is that when I hear a bruiser of a running back, I just my clavicles and my shoulder sends up for Talanoa Hufunga and Isaiah <laughs> Polamau. <laughs> That's just sometimes it's just been a bad combo sometimes, and you just you just hope that they're they're healthy when they're making those tackles. So yeah. thinking of that, like the only one of those their injuries now they've both had multiple as well as Greg Johnson shoulder injuries. But the only one that was actually suffered by a running back, as far as I can think of off the top of my head, was Ronald Jones actually breaking Isaiah. breaking Isaiah Polamalu's shoulder his first camp uh, in fall camp and having him be out for the season. So it's been more tight ends and just landing wrong and stuff. But. I believe the Talanohu Funga Oregon State game, he came up on a blitz and tackled a running back. Is that Jamar Jefferson? Or I, uh, I don't remember. I think that was like 2018. It was his first season, I believe. So okay. random tidbit in my mind. We have a, a Periscope question. Sure, if you go, go for it. That. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, Dijon Dayon from Victoria, British Columbia, oh, Canada. Oh, exciting. Love the show. Thanks for the international mm -hmm. question. International. Uh, they got the internet there in Canada, right? Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> does SC establish – we can't talk trash about – you see what America's doing right now. But <laughs> yes, does SC establish a run game? So pretty simple. Uh, do you think they're going to establish a run game this year, Shoddy or, or Keeley? I mean, I think it starts with the passing game. and You're going to pass to run a little bit more. They need to do more in the running game. Obviously, if you do more, then you eliminate those drop eight coverages that gave USC some trouble. I think Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink both adjusted to those coverages as the season went along, especially Keaton Slovis. But you want to eliminate those just because it's extra defenders that you have to deal with when you're passing, where if you can run the ball five, six yards a carry, then teams can't do that. Uh, so with Marquis Stepp hopefully being healthy, Clay Helton sounds positive, sounds gives some positive signs that he and Vivai Malapai, the two guys that are the more physical running backs, they'll both be healthy. Seems like USC should be able to do that when teams try to try to drop a, a bunch of, of defenders. But also a lot of glowing reviews for Stephen Carr this mm -hmm. this uh, fall camp. So I you feel positive about it, but again, we haven't seen it. And this is this is one of those things where you've heard positive talk about the run game. It feels like for five or six years now, and it hasn't always been the case. You know, they haven't been always been able to run the ball when they need to. Those third and one situations, those fourth and inches, can you run the ball when other teams know you're going to run it? That was what Clay Helton said from the day he was hired, the full-time coach. We're going to run the ball. We're going to be a physical, hard-nosed running team. Now they're an air raid team. But still, it comes back to can you run it when other teams know you're going to run it? And that's something I think this team can do. They have offensive linemen that are veteran guys. You have five guys. We, the, the starting lineup we expect are all redshirt juniors or older. So I, I think this should be a group that should be able to, to be able to push some people out of the way as long as they communicate well up front. They should be able to run the ball at least well enough to keep teams from just dropping coverage all the time. In the same vein, Bobby on Facebook says, will USC start with a run play or a pass play? Ooh. <laughs> I think pass play. Really? Yeah, I think they're going to like. I feel like in the Sark days, they opened up with like a, a, a long ball, right? Yeah. 
I, I feel that like was, it's that was Kiffin and Sark. You know, a, okay. lot of, a lot of Marquise Lee or Robert Woods deep balls. I would not be surprised if you start with four verticals. It's a it's a common you know it's a common play call in this offense. So why not you know sample it and see what the defense is in just to begin with. And if you see a shot, you trust your quarterback. You know that people are now saying, like I said earlier, number one pick next year in the draft uh, when he's eligible in 2022. Then you know, give him the chance to 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 wing it out there and see if someone goes and make a play. But the big thing is, can you protect him long enough to do that? Mm. I think it'll be some intermediate pass to Amon Ross St. Brown, like twenty yards or something. Yeah, twenty yards is that intermediate for this offense? It is sure. <laughs> for Amon Ross St. Brown, that's intermediate. You could also, I mean, don't be surprised if it's a, a little read option with the uh, the possibility of pulling the ball and throwing it to a wide receiver on the edge too, because you want to do things early in the game to not only try to push the defense and try to gain a bunch of yards, but also test and see what the defense is doing, especially against a new defense of coordinators. I'm going to throw in my own question just because I can. First touchdown is scored by whom? Who? USC. Scored on USC's team. That's a tough one, but I'm mm-hmm. going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he just does so many unique dynamic things that I think he finds a way in the end zone. You know, if they want, they can give him, give him the ball out of the backfield like they did last year at times. Yeah, I think we just went to a Thai restaurant and and shotgun ordered the pad Thai, so now I can't order it. I'm going to go <laughs> Stephen Carr. Yeah, it's just like he picked Alvaro St. Brown, who I was going to pick, but now I'll go okay. Stephen Carr. So I think mm. I was really impressed with what they said about him when Mike Jenks said he added six inches to his vertical leap. I mean, that's that's explosiveness. So if he's back like that, we haven't got to see him in practice. If he's back, I think he might have like one of those, like they're at the 15-yard line. They toss it to him, and he runs it in for a touchdown. So let's let's go Stephen Carr. Interesting. I'm going to go for maybe a younger wide receiver, maybe a Drake London or a Brew McCoy. Oh, Brew McCoy. Wow. Hey, you never know. Just something spicy. That is a spicy. I think, I think Graham Harrell will try and come out with some spice. Do you remember like when we all thought Devin Williams would have like this, you know, like we were like just waiting for him, and there's never like – it's never worked. Every time they tried to run a play for him, it just I put wouldn't some work. bad juju on Brew McCoy. Right I'm just now? saying. Like, remember, it was a hard time incorporating him early on, and now he's at Oregon. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't want. The I'm not way putting Graham bad juju. Harold talks about Brew McCoy. Oh yeah, and he's too physical. I just I don't know. I I told you on multiple platforms buy stock in Brew McCoy. That's what I got to say. Gotcha. Shotgun, you look like you want to say something. I mean, I, I have been on the Brew McCoy train since high school. I think he's such a, a, a dynamic weapon as a physical player, and I would still love to see him. Couple plays on defense. That'd be my opinion, but I would love to see that. Um, I just think that there's so many offensive weapons. It's it's hard to to say who it can be. I mean, it could even be a tight end, huh? Don't, what is that? What? <laughs> yes, it still could be a tight end. I, I think that maybe you see those guys get uh, incorporated in the offense a little bit more, and those are the guys the defense is not going to be keying on. <laughs> defense is going to be like uh, Tyler Vaughn's. I'm on Ross St. Brown, yeah. Drake London, uh, this Brew McCoy guy, he's huge, huge too. Oh, the running backs are good. Wait, there's Eric Cromanhook going wide open over the middle. Did anybody guard it? I thought you had him. I, I didn't think he was going to catch the ball. They never threw the ball to him before. Why would they do it now? So maybe you see a tight end slip one in there and just surprise everybody. True. You never know. That's and my that, long shot pick. That's a good problem to have your USC. Too many weapons to choose from for the first uh, 
touchdown. Um, before we go into questions, and I'm about to jump into it very soon, just injury updates. We will talk to Clay Hilton tomorrow. So uh, if he doesn't give us a long list, I will be asking for a long list of injury updates before we head into the season. Also, USC should be releasing uh, captains in a two deep on Friday. So stay tuned for that as well. But as far as injuries go, the only ones we have like concrete info on, uh, as Shotgun mentioned, Marquis Step is doing better as well as Vivai Malapai. I believe he said he expects uh, Marquis Step to be in at least in the conversation on Saturday to get some playing time. And then I asked uh, defensive coordinator Todd Orlando about Drake Jackson today, and he said that he's fine. Uh, he credited USC's medical staff for getting him back uh, full strength, so uh, he is expected to play on Saturday. Shotgun, you look like you want to add a little tidbit about injuries there. No, I, I think getting Drake Jackson is really big, and I, I give per credit. I am usually pretty hard on the USC training staff, but give credit to the coaches and the training staff for developing a plan for Drake Jackson, knowing that he had some hamstring tightness and, and making sure that they attacked it early in camp, took a little bit of time off, made sure that he was healthy to go come opening day because he's a dynamic piece in that defense that Todd Orlando can do some different things with. Todd Orlando talked about him today and said, he was playing at 270 pounds last year, and that was just too heavy, in his opinion. You know, he, he thinks at 245, he's still just as strong as he was last year from, you know, seeing what the, the I'm sure that there's measurements and stuff on his bench and stuff and all that. But he said he's more explosive. You can see the explosiveness, and he's faster. And speed is what is going to play in this defense particularly. And I think that he can do some different things, dropping in coverage. You saw the hands he has last year in the spring game, making the one-handed interception and taking it to the house. Uh, I, I think that... He can do some different things and be a valuable piece that can give the, uh, opposing offenses a lot of trouble that they have to game for, plan for a lot and then open up things for guys like Paglia and Itiote and some of the other guys. Mm -hmm. All righty. As promised, we're going to jump into questions. If you have one while we're going through it, it helps if you put like question and then put your question. I can see it faster. Uh, first up, Jasper Smith on YouTube says, which cornerback will be the lockdown corner for the squad this year? Ryan, you want to go first? I'll go Elijah, Elijah Griffin. I think he's going to be the lockdown. They're going to do like the, the whole boundary um, field corner thing. So it's not like he's going to be moving around to cover specific uh, you know, guys. They're going to use it more by position where one guy being more in space, one guy being more like closer to the, the action in the line of scrimmage. But I think if you're going to have someone getting locked down, you know, locking down some people, it's going to be uh, Elijah Griffin, who I believe is going to be the field corner, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Elijah is going to have to cover a lot more space. He's going to be out in the, as the field corner. He's going to be asked to do a lot. He's going to be put on the island at times. And I think he's going to be up to the task. You know, he's a guy that, bring, that brings the, the juice, as USC coaches have talked about a lot. He brings that swagger. And I think he's really improved his game year over year. Uh, last year, he was USC's best cornerback by far, best coverage guy by far. Um, you know, he... Teams didn't complete less than 50% against him. He was really good. Uh, and the, the only thing, that, and I think where he can take his game to that next level, is he hasn't created any turnovers in the past. And I think he, he's a guy, if you get the ball in his hands, he can do some dynamic things. He's, look, he's uh, in the mix as a kickoff returner right now as well for USC. But we saw from high school as a receiver and a returner that put the ball in his hands and he can make some guys miss and, and turn you know, an interception into a pick six. He's that type of player. I think that's the next uh, step in the evolution of his game. I'm excited to see him and what he's added to the game. I will ask you guys, though, how do you feel about the boundary versus and field cornerback versus left or right or versus, hey, this is your matchup. You go you know, shadow this guy wherever he goes. I'm not a huge fan of boundary and field just because, especially now with the tempo the teams try to go with, 
you can get some confusion and your guys don't get out to, to guard the side that they're supposed to be on necessarily as quick based on, you know, where the ball gets lined, gets spotted and lined up at. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you could have that switch between hashes and then you got guys like swapping and stuff. Um, I always liked when you have, okay, hits your best receiver. That's your best corner kind of line them up there. But Todd Orlando knows way more about defense than me. So it'll be interesting to see you, but yeah, they, it can cause some, some issues. I think, when Oregon was running their blur and stuff up there, and they were, you know, they were doing different things depending on which hash they were on. If they were on the hash closer to you, they wouldn't let you substitute, made it really hard for corners to switch and things like that. So yeah. you can run into some problems doing that. I, I feel more comfortable doing that with the linemen and stuff and the linebackers based on, you know, the, the strength of the, the offense. But when you do it with cornerbacks, because those guys, if I'm on offense and I see you doing that, then I start attacking with, with deep routes three or four times in a row, and I'll switch out a receiver, whatever it is, so that now Elijah Griffin, maybe in a four-play span, if you pick up a first down, you know, you, you go third and one, you run the ball, but you run the guy off the line. Elijah Griffin has run, you know, three 20-yard sprints or 40-yard sprints in a span of three plays, and now you bring out your speedster out there and put him out there and do the same thing, and Elijah Griffin's tired and the receiver has had two plays off to rest. I think it can create a you know a, a different thing and if you're running sideline and sideline that just adds to it. Um, so I, I'm hesitant and I'm just curious to see how it works because USC just hasn't done that in, in recent years. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Dante and, and Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin said they like it. They said it works for them. So I mean, we had multiple questions this week. Uh, will Todd Orlando's defense be too complicated? Is that a complication that you're like, you know what? In in reality, maybe let's not complicate things too much. I don't know. We'll see. It's one of those things where you just want to watch and see what this defense um, does. Uh, we have a lot of questions. So, Shadi, I'm going to put you on <laughs> rapid fire specifically. Um, so don't ask any extra questions? Yeah, basically don't become the host. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper Smith also said, which inexperienced player will be the biggest impact this season? Hmm. I mean, the easy answer is Brew McCoy. I think someone answered in the, the chat that. Um, so, Ryan, I'll let you have Brew McCoy if that's what you want to do. I'm going to go with Raylan Goforth. Yep, you know, call. heard some good things about him today. Todd Orlando talked about how he's one of the guys that's in the meeting room even before he is, and Orlando's usually there early. Said he recently sent a pick out to the rest of the linebackers because he was in there getting his work in. And he's a guy I really liked coming out of Bosco. I thought he was underrated. Um, he was a former safety, so he has those coverage skills, but he has a fearlessness to go in and hit people at the line of scrimmage too. So I'm curious to see how he does and if he ends up winning that battle beside Pally and Itiote. Yeah. I think he's going to be a big part of it, but obviously Brew McCoy is going to be too. If you're going to go like full true freshman, I mean, Gary Bryant Jr. was the obvious one, but you know, we've heard some good things about Tuli Tui Pelotu. Uh, maybe you get some mm, uh, some call. more run from him, so we'll see. That's a good dark horse call, Ryan. <laughs> uh, Jeff on Facebook said, who will be USC's first 100-yard runner and catcher? I believe it's separately, or you could do both. In, In one, one game, it's Stephen Carr, I would say. You know, like Oh, you kind of combine total yards. That's what I'm saying. There were no no punctuations, so we can go either way with this one. The first person to 100 yards, Ryan, you're taking that? You know, you can get a receiver, get over 100 yards quicker. Oh, is it? If, yeah, I don't know if the question – I thought he was talking about one player doing both. <laughs> it's you whatever know? you want. Like a Christian McCaffrey catches like 10 passes for 105 yards and, and runs you know 15 times for 150. But like Stephen Carr is the one that has the potential uh, for that. Amon Rossi Brown will be the first you know, know. receiver over 100 yards. But I think Carr, if you're going to go receiving and rushing, like that could be him. I think Drake London is going to be the first receiver over 100 yards. Okay. Ooh. I think he, more than Amon Ross St. Brown, he gets more deep balls potentially. 
Um, and especially if you can get him against safeties in the middle of the field, if you're using him inside, you use him outside, some different there. I'm going to just make a guess there. We have okay. Andy just wrote in Periscope, Keenan. So, you know. yeah. Oh, Dark Horse. Keenan Christian. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got speed. So, yeah. He and could. that's the thing. If you break a tackle and you're gone, remember last year, <laughs> I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown goes over 100 yards against Arizona State in the first quarter because – you know, what, a 94-yard touchdown pass or yep. something? That makes it a lot easier to go over 100 yards when you when you get 94 of them in one chunk. Very yeah. true. Oscar on Facebook says, does USC have to win every game by double digits to make the playoffs? That's a good question. I would say at minimum, yeah. Like, there's not – I don't – I mean, you could potentially, like, beat Utah by a touchdown on the road, but you need a lot of other factors. Like, you have to look impressive throughout the season, and you can't have – couple of clunkers it would have to be like utah's pretty good and usc was maybe in a close game with them but outside of that you got to pretty much run the table and look impressive doing it uh don't win a close game against oregon or something like that you need oregon to pretty much be undefeated in the north and you're going to need some chaos like wisconsin could take themselves out like shock had mentioned they could take themselves out of the the big 10 championship if they miss one more game you know we're seeing other you know uh, games being postponed now, those postponed ones because they're in the conferences that started early. Well, you start running out of postponed spots, too. So you need some of that to happen. A lot's got to happen. But I wouldn't say every game by double digits, but, you know, five or six, six of the seven you would have to. I think that depending on the opponent, you could potentially play Arizona State close and they show that they're a legit team. Then, yeah, maybe you can get away with especially early in the season. And then you start blowing teams out and people go, OK, this is a real team. And if you get a little leeway for the first game. Also, if you play a tight game, you know, Oregon's also undefeated or Washington or someone else from the north is undefeated, Cal, and you play a tight game in the championship game, maybe you get some leeway there. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens elsewhere. Uh, the Big 12, you know, going in the, the tank has definitely helped the Pac-12. Their percentages have increased, but it's still they're still an outside looking in type uh, spot right now the for big, the Pac-12. Sorry, but the big problem is, and if I'm right about I'm the Pac-12 guru, right? If I'm right about the Pac-12, <laughs> I mean, over-under Colorado wins this year with Carl Durrell is one. Over-under for Arizona, you know, with a hot seat, Kevin Sumlin. This is and, you setting this? No, no. This is, I think, one of the, the, the sites. Like, okay. over-under oh, for wins. One and a half, you know. I don't think Washington State is going to be very good. I don't think UCLA is going to be very good. Two of those teams, two of those four teams USC's playing has new coaching staffs that didn't have any spring practice. So there's a lot going on um, with some of these teams. So if you struggle, like, to beat ASU and Utah, those other wins probably aren't going to be that impressive. Like, you need to kind of blow out everybody almost. And then, you know, because I, I really think – the four teams outside of ASU and Utah are just not going to be – they're going to be garbage this year is my opinion. So we'll see. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. Colorado might not win a game. You know, Arizona, I'm not sure. Like, Don't they sleep got, on Carl Durrell. You never know. I mean, they, sleep on No him. spring practice. You got a safety starting at your quarterback spot. Like they literally named the guy that was a safety last year <laughs> as their starting quarterback. They have any practice. Boulder couldn't practice. for Like even when they were allowed to, Boulder said, no, you can't practice. Like – to have a whole new system and a coach, Carl Durrell, who hadn't coached in, what, 13 years or something like that. Like He's with a dolphin. No, but not as a head coach. Like, oh, yeah, he, got it's it. been yeah. a long okay. time yes. since he's done that. Just to me, my my philosophy going into the Pac-12 this year is anyone that's like, you know, all new coaching staff, you're just going to be at a huge disadvantage. Washington State, Colorado are yes. two of those, and USC plays both of them. Yes. Ryan, you are now in uh, the rapid fire doghouse both of you gentlemen are in rapid fire mode we have a lot of questions to get through Alrighty. Uh, in the same vein Luis on YouTube says who is the biggest threat in the Pac-12 for USC or just in general I mean Oregon was picked to win the Pac-12 yeah. so 
How are they not? I still, I'm not sold on them winning the North. Um, there's a lot of a lot of teams have a lot of question marks, and Oregon is still one of them. You know, they lost their basically their entire offense line. You lose Justin Herbert. They have recruited really well the last few years. I think they will replace a bunch of guys and do well, but they lost a ton of talent. Similar to Utah, lost a ton of talent. Can you replace it? Same thing at Utah. You know, they lost their quarterback Hundley, but they get Jake Bentley and uh, Cameron Rising, but. Are they going to have? Can they perform in the field? We haven't seen it yet, so I, a lot of question marks still. I still probably be for me ASU in the South and Oregon in the North. I mean, I I, I I'm actually I think Utah's because they're at home and the last seven years the home team has won. This is going to be a weird year, but Utah lost enough talent that I, I think ASU because it's the early game and because of all the practice and you get them right out of the gate. I think that's probably the biggest threat for USC to lose in that six game stretch. We have a question from SNS Productions who says, is this game possibly the most important game of Clay Helton's coaching career at USC? Ooh, that is... I could argue a case for it. Yeah, I think you, you can. You could, could because it really does set the table. If you lose this game... You could spiral. ASU is probably good. Even if you win out, ASU is probably running the table because they get Utah at home. They're not mm -hmm. going to lose. The only the only issue is with ASU is they play Cal in week two. So they get the worst crossover of all the Pac-12 South teams. Like, they're a good team. They get another good team in the crossover. So there's a, another potential loss there. But they would have the head-to-head -head with USC. I do think, like, not winning the Pac-12 this year is like, you could say it's like a fireable offense. you got to win the Pac-12. Oregon's lost a lot of stuff. You're the team that's the most talented. You bring the most back. So yeah, I think you could argue that. But I don't know, you know, Beating ASU, you pretty much have to run the table, you know. So, but if you don't beat ASU, you're not going to run the table. So, yeah, I think at least for this year, it's it's the most important game. I would say it's the most important this year. But the thing is, you look at that as the most important of your career. You go, okay, which game gets you fired or which game gets you promoted? And there hasn't been a game yet that has gotten him fired because they've lost all the games that you go, oh, if they lose this game, he's probably out. There hasn't been, the, you know, the UCLA game, uh, you know, at UCLA a couple years ago. Oh, no, it's Clay Hilton. It hasn't happened, you yep. know. Um, so maybe the Penn State game becomes actually his most important game so far because that got him the extension that has gotten him into the place right now where the money was too great for him to be fired last season. Yeah. Hey, real quick, Fowler yeah. Mario on uh, Periscope, mm -hmm. he keeps putting in, he's like, you guys, he says, ASU is going to be much better than you guys think. I'm not. Maybe you hit the Google Translate button or something while you're watching this. But we've <laughs> been saying translate. they're good. Yeah, we're we're saying they're good. Like we're, I'm, you know, someone was saying, why are you, you know, touting ASU so much? You weren't doing that before. I'm not sure what you're saying. Yes, we're saying Arizona State's going to be good. So I'm not. Maybe you're watching a different show and commenting on ours, but we are definitely <laughs> not hating on ASU. Honestly, I'm surprised ASU is not ranked. Yeah. You know, I think they should yeah. be in that 20 to 25 range because there are some teams that aren't very good that are in that range. There's just so many unknowns. True. There's a lot. And, and some of the people are getting sort of credit. Like Stanford's getting a little bit more credit in the North than they should. They, they missed a bowl game for the first time under Shaw. Uh, you know, had a losing record for the first time. I still think they're going to be going down. I don't think they're going to be bouncing back. That's not an anomaly season. I think Cal going to be getting a bump in the North. Um, you know, we'll see where Washington does. But a team like ASU... People are still picking Utah ahead of them, but I would have ASU ahead of Utah at this point just with the, the number of guys that, that Utah lost. Um, in that same vein, Dakers on YouTube says, what happens if USC loses this first game? Well, good. I'm going to go into an igloo for a while and just like we waited <laughs> over 10 months for this game. And then 
all we're going to be dealing with is fire Clay Helton, like just ad nauseum. So I think you just see people check out. You know, It'll it's such people, a short yeah. season that kind of decides the South unless you get some weird configuration. It's kind of game over, season over. In I that got sense. I got the perfect gift. You ever see the the Simpsons one where Bart is like sitting at the little desk, like the door opens, and I think it's Grandpa Simpson, and he's it's basically a brothel that he's like the bouncer for. So little Bart is, and then the Grandpa walks, or it might be Principal Skinner. I forget, but he it's walks in. It's a bar. In. No, no, it was that's a it was the uh, house of ill repute. Okay. It, was, it was a really funny Simpsons one, but it's either Grandpa or Principal Skinner like walks in, like puts his hat down, takes it off, and walks out. So I think that would be. USC fans like, oh, here we are. Here's a football season. Oh, they lost the SC. Okay, we're out. And they just walk away. So I kind of think that's what will happen. Interesting. Shadi? I think that USC goes on and plays five more games this year. And they go five and one. And everybody laments this game, but Hilton remains as the coach. And nothing really changes. So yeah. I don't think – win or lose, I don't think a ton is going to change this, this week. I think people will still be excited to see the rest of the season just because they've been starved for football on the West Coast. Yeah. We shall I, see. Win or lose, I don't think Helton's going anywhere this year anyway, so I don't I don't think that's happening. But the fans are going to be quite upset, I'll say. Yes. Let, we have a caller on the line. Let's go to Thomas from Texas. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello, uh, this is Thomas from Texas. Hello. Hey, Thomas. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Uh, oh, I would like to hand the phone to my brother, Eagle. He's a very big fan of you. Uh, uh, sorry, just, just real quick. Um, hi, cutie. Hello. It, uh, it looks like we missed out on a commitment. <laughs> okay, right. we're done. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go to Coley on YouTube, who says, Will the LA Coliseum and USC be piping in crowd noise? Clay Elton has actually talked about this quite a bit. Yeah, they're, they're going to be piping in, and that's one of the things that he was thankful for multiple times uh, during the, the fall camp is that the marketing people would come in early on Saturday mornings for their scrimmages, piping that music to you know get that feel of what it's going to be like because it's going to be that empty stadium. It's, it's going to be a little eerie, I think, to begin with. Yes. Uh, it's going to be like bright and sunny, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, but but then it's going to probably be more eerie Ominous because it's going rain. to be rain. Um, you know that cold November rain. It's going to be coming down, and you know you're going to have music being played, and it's just going to be like, what is going on around here? It's going to be a scrimmage. It's going to be weird. It's going to be a little different for sure. Uh, so yes, they have practiced with that to kind of get that feel as much as they can, similar to piping in crowd noise uh, at practice for away games before before away games. So they've done. Done that to try to simulate what it's going to be like, but you know we'll see when we actually get there on Saturday what it actually is like. It will be interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping it rains so you guys can get all wet and stuff, and I'll just be I'll <laughs> be on the couch all. with a mimosa, just kind of hanging out, watching the game, doing some tweets. It's going to be great. Uh, we actually have a tweet from Steve who says, "I think elite defensive tackles are a valuable commodity in short supply at the pro level. Does SC have a defensive tackle that consi con can consistently disrupt these next-gen mobile QBs, and will their talents translate well on Sundays?" Yeah, he already opted out. This yeah, year. unfortunately, <laughs> it's Jay Tefelli. Yeah, he's not going to be there, but I think he will do well in the pros. And, you know, Drake Jackson is a guy who can float at different spots on the line. So on third downs, you might see him, you know, playing some defensive tackle. Um, you know, the big question is Marlon Tui-Pelotu and Brandon Peely. Can Brandon Peely take his game to the next level? 
And can Marlon Tui Pelotu play at a consistent level like he's shown that he's capable of early in the season the last couple of years before kind of fading off a little bit? The shorter season, you know, expecting big things out of him. You know, one of his teammates, one of the offensive linemen called him Thanos. You know, that, you know did, he didn't know if he – what was the quote, Keeley, that he, he didn't know if he got an Infinity Stone during the offseason yeah, or something? Yeah, which you wouldn't know since you still haven't caught up on the Marvel I know movies. what an Infinity Stone is. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, he said uh, lots of praise for Marlon Tuipelotu, so look out for him. Um, we're moving on, Chuggan. Sorry if you wanted anything more. Nope, that's it. We had a question from Nolan, which is something we've been debating just – on air and off air, uh, he says, do you guys think that the players and coaches are being completely honest about the physicality or do you guys think they're making it sound a lot more physical to look good for the media? I don't necessarily, we haven't discussed the last part, but the thing is, is that we've heard a lot of optimism before and it hasn't really matched up. And so a thing we've debated is how much do you take this uh, seriously or do you wait until Saturday to see it with your own eyes? I mean, I could see why Clay Helton would, you know, he would understand that this is like a talking point and it's like, hey, we're going to talk about being physical. But when the, I mean, you're going to have a team meeting like, all right, we're not going to practice hard, but I want you to tell everybody that we're practicing hard. Like, I just don't think that would go over well. So <laughs> you're hearing it from the players and stuff. I think you're you're getting a, a genuine answer. I, I, I can't see some directive coming down from make sure you tell everybody we're doing lots of full pad practices and tackling and way more than we did years before. I I think that would be disingenuous. And I know, Shotgun, you, you know when you talk to some of the defensive backs uh, how they were – they really probably shouldn't have shared that it was much different than last year. And you felt that that was, they were being honest about it. Yeah. When Elijah Griffin says, you know, we didn't practice that physical last year. Now it's really physical. That tells you something. You can see it in, you know, the way he responded to the question that it is different. Now is what they're experiencing this year. Is that now on par with the top tier teams in the nation? That's still a question. You know, is it physical like Alabama physical or Georgia physical or Clemson physical? We don't know. Is it more physical than last year? I think yes. I think that yes, that is true, and I don't think that you're just getting lip service there. Um, I think the coaches feel like there's a change a little bit. I think the energy uh, that the, the defensive coaches have brought has, has led the players. They feel that there's a different vibe there. Now, does that continue if you get smacked in the mouth on Saturday at the very beginning? Big question. That's a big question. And yeah. so we're going to take it with a grain of salt. We believe what they're saying is true. However, we're not going to put put our you know stamp of approval behind it and say yeah they're definitely more physical. Uh, we're going to wait and see it with our own eyes. But I, and again, I think it goes back to yes, they're more physical than last year. But are they now in that upper tier physicality that you see across the nation with the top teams? Quick one on Periscope. Mario sure. wants to know: Will there be any Pac-12 games that allow fans this year? So it's a Pac-12 directive, no fans. They did come out and say. If the local restrictions would allow it, you could have you know families at the games, and so there will be families in some of those stadiums, not in the California ones, at least the LA ones, I believe. USC and UCLA tried to talk to the LA County health officials uh, together; they were shut down. So no, no fans, no uh, you know parents, at least for the LA schools. You'll see some families in other schools, but I don't think the Pac-12 would allow, like say Utah, to have fans and other schools not. So if it can't be across the board, I don't think the Pac-12 will allow. Fans in general, but families, that's going to be up to each program. Staviticus on Facebook says, is USC going to have more sacks this season? Hmm, that's an interesting I question. don't remember how many sacks they had last year, but it wasn't, it wasn't great, right? I think yes, because I think you see the maturity of Drake Jackson and him you know, slimming down, being a little bit more explosive. Maybe he has a similar impact to Yuchina Nwosu had it during, at USC during his career. 
Um, can he replicate what Nwosu did his final year? That's the big question, but I think him creating more pressure allows the other guys to get there uh, more often as well. So I, I think Dre Jackson will allow that. I think he had last year, what, maybe three and a half sacks. I think even in a shortened season that he'll at least get to six, maybe seven, maybe he doubles it, or he just forces team to double team him all the time and someone else starts getting those. So I think as a collective group, they'll have more sacks per game, I'll say, yeah. because obviously shorter season. Yeah. Uh, they were 20, tied for 28th nationally last season in oh, sacks. That so wasn't too bad. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It started out uh, – Three each game, and then a ton against Arizona seven. So, uh, but it kind of flattened out when guys got injured. Uh, going back to they do again play Arizona this year though. They do. Grant yeah. Gunnell. Grant Gunnell. Uh, Coley says very important question for Ryan. What is the food selection breakfast on game day? Well, yeah. So I love bre- I mean, I love breakfast in general. Uh, man, I made some like good fried eggs and bacon and uh, chocolate chip pancakes the other day. But I think for the game, I'm gonna go. Get me a big breakfast burrito somewhere. And like I said, you know, pour myself a mimosa. I don't have to work. I'll just be kind of hanging out watching the game. You are going to be working. (laughs) uh, You know, tweeting and posting on the message board. I will be working. But on my couch, I'm allowed to have a mimosa and watch the game. So you're going to get snarky. Watch out for snarky Ryan I'm always always snarky. Yeah, but but it's up a notch. It'll probably get a little bit worse. But I'll probably go breakfast burrito. One of my favorite things to eat. Interesting. Uh, Anthony says, do you agree ASU is looking for the deep ball with corners on islands? I mean, they may look for it, and you've got a big target in Johnny Wilson, you know, supposedly uh, listed at 6'7". I think he's more 6'5", 6'6". But, you know, that's an option for them, and I think you at least explore it. Uh, The big question is, can they get that run game going? If they get their run game going, that opens up the play action for Jaden Daniels, which then gives uh, more opportunities for man-to-man coverage uh, with the safeties not being able to help out over the top. Yeah, he does throw a really nice deep ball. Yep. Uh, you know, we'll see if Frank, you know, they need Frank Darby to really be the number one guy because Brandon Ayuk just made so many huge plays for them last year. Uh, we got multiple questions about USC's uh, both lines. Uh, Anthony says, do you, how, on, how do you honestly feel uh, we will win the battle in the trenches? And uh, Truck Ranger said, do you, how do you think the offensive line will do? Ryan, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm more optimistic on the office line. I mean, it, uh, you know, from before camp to the middle of camp, uh, I got a little bit more optimistic. I've kind of stayed there right now. Now I want to see them actually in action. I think adding Andrew Voorhees back and hearing some positive things about him and just the strength that he has, uh, you know, adding him to the line and that, that experience that he has, that whole group has, you know, over, I think it's all over like 1,200 plays. Um, so besides Liam Jimmins, who's, I think total in his career has over 1,200, but the rest of the group on the office line have over 1,200 snaps. So you have experience there, and if the cohesion is there as far as communication, then I, I'm a little bullish on the offensive line, especially compared to was a, where it was before camp. They, they got a lot of veterans on both lines, and just there's a lot of talent there, you know. And with ASU, I mean, with the uh, offensive line, Elijah Vera Tucker coming back is just huge. It's it's really going to solidify the left side. Uh, in my opinion, you got Andrew Voorhees moving over there. He's got a lot of starts. So I, I'm kind of bullish on them both, too. Uh, I, I like the talent on the defensive line. There's a lot of guys that can go through, and they can mix in some young guys. I'm not as convinced that the young guys are going to work on the offensive line, but the front, you know, the, the top six or so, I think it's solid for USC. Yeah, injuries are definitely a concern on both lines yeah. uh, because I think there's a fall off uh, of – of talent, even though the coaches have tried to sell it like these freshmen are ready to step in and, and produce right away. I think there's still a, a big gap in talent-wise there. Oscar on Facebook says, will the USC defense have two or more turnovers? Didn't, get to, didn't give a time frame, so I'm going to guess against ASU. 
Uh, in the season, yes, they'll have the more season. than two. Well, I mean, yeah, I just don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, my gut feeling is there's not going to be a lot of turnovers in this game, but we'll see. Maybe there'll be a bunch. I'll go with two rain. because of the rain, the potential mm-hmm. of okay. rain. I like it. Uh, I don't. Maybe Jaden Daniels makes a mistake. That's very rare. So I don't think it's going to be there. I think it's going to come on fumbles if if it happens. Yeah, one of these running backs you don't really know much about if they fumble or something. Yeah, because sure. Jaden Daniels, I think last year went like this ridiculously long streak with no interceptions. Yeah. So uh, you know he, he takes care of the ball really well. Doesn't make any. Uh, unnecessary mistakes a lot of times so did justin herbert and he broke that streak against streak against usc i believe i, I forgot who got the pick Isaiah Paul got, Mow in the it, first quarter there you yeah. go uh, james on youtube says is drake jackson sack Jaden daniels yes oh yeah I so there. decisive go, yes. interesting can saint brown get in the heisman race no no Oh, look at this rapid fire gentlemen he's, well he's done he's a wide receiver yeah. wide receivers have no chance anymore i mean basically even Six game season, hard he's a point. wide receiver, USC. which is going to be really tough. He'd have to return kicks and punts and maybe play some safety or something. But and yeah. also somehow get four extra games yeah. on the schedule. Yeah, he just doesn't have a lot of games and stuff. Like so. someone, I think it was St. Brown actually mentioned, or maybe it was one of the DBs, mentioned that Keaton Slovis is like, watch out for him as the Heisman. No, not this season. Yeah, You're not going to get enough games to put up numbers anywhere comparable to the rest of the, the country. Guys like Trevor Lawrence and uh, Mac Jones. Ron says, is Notre Dame the biggest winner of the Clay Helton tenure? I think the Pac-12 Ooh. in general? <laughs> oh, good. Really? Wow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> or, I mean, you could. I think Oregon's got a great Oregon? beat. Yeah, just because of the recruiting aspect of it. Like uh, Yes, but Oregon was also on the high coming into the Clay Helton era. But know? getting the Justin Flows of the world and, you know, Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau's, like, those guys wouldn't have gone to Oregon without, like, some incompetence on the recruiting front from USC. I'm going to say, actually, Utah. And U- went in two Pac-12 South titles, sure. Yeah, Utah, I think, has been a It's a not a winner. title. You just clinch the division. Yeah, <laughs> I, That's my pet peeve. <laughs> but I also think that they, they're a big winner because they are also recruiting at a different level than they were before. A guy like Clark Phillips is the highest recruit they've ever had, I believe. Um, so getting a guy like that to, to come from Southern California, that would be unheard of in the past, You know, especially – Ten years ago, they were just entering the Pac-12. And I remember I've talked with, with different Utah coaches over the years. Entering the Pac-12, the biggest difference, they said, is the, the, the living rooms you can now go into to recruit. You know, In the past, when you're in the Mountain West and you see that four-star guy, you just can't go in the same living room and be like, hey, do you want to come to Utah? Like, who are you playing? You playing San Diego State? Thanks, Coach. If I don't get into one of these Pac-12 schools, then I'll give you a call. Yeah, I just wouldn't go Utah because they haven't even won the, the conference yeah. yet. I mean, they do have a couple of Pac-12 South banners hanging up, TK Lakes, but there's a... <laughs> I'll tell you who hasn't taken advantage, UCLA. True. Yeah. Very true. Um, Coley says, besides ASU-SE match on Saturday, most interesting Pac-12 game of the day. Ryan Abraham, I know you have the answer. Two night games, unfortunately. You got Washington State uh, going to be on the road at Oregon State. I'm going to want to watch that one. I think Washington State's going to be down. I think Oregon State's going to be like a 3-3 three and three type of team. Like, I think they're going to be okay. They're, they got consistency. They got three, you know, third-year coach in Jonathan Smith. Third-year defensive coordinator, third-year offensive coordinator. Washington State's all new, you know. So I feel like Oregon State's going to be better. But you got to watch Washington at Cal. Come on, man. That's a Chase Garbers, Pac-12 MVP, man. When he starts a game and then he plays half the game, he's undefeated. So watch Cal's quarterback, Chase Garbers. USC doesn't have to play him now this year. Didn't play him last year either. But uh, Washington at Cal is going to be a big one because I think it's Oregon, Washington, and Cal in the north. Two of those teams are playing right away, just like USC or ASU in the south. 
Yeah, I completely agree with, with your second point. I don't know why Washington State, Oregon State, is that intriguing to you? Uh, it'll be interesting, but intriguing. A lot of them are blowouts. So, like, those are, like, True. those are still, like, I think Oregon State's going to be better, so I want to watch the two of them play. And most people are picking Washington State ahead of them. So or- that, that's why it's interesting. Oregon me. Stanford will at least be interesting to watch for a half. We'll see if Stanford can keep it close, and then maybe it's interesting. But definitely the Washington Cal game because it's basically an elimination game. It's an elimination game in the north uh, for one of those teams to try to then play against uh, Oregon. Because, like you said, they're the three teams that have a shot at this. I don't think the other three have a, have a chance. Super OC Holmes says, is Herm Edwards known as an organized coach? Did ASU have effective players-only practices all summer long? They didn't have players-only practices. They had coaches there practices. Like, that's the thing we talked about at the top of the show. And he's been... I think he's shown a lot of good organizational skills. He is more of like a CEO type. He's a definitely a motivator. He's brought in a good mix of coaches that were like high school, you know, uh, tied into the Southern California high schools and former NFL buddies. You know, you have an NFL, former NFL head coach, a longtime NFL head coach as your co-defensive coordinator. I mean, there's some cool stuff there. So I was panning the hire of Herm Edwards as much as anybody He'd been in the booth for whatever, or in the studio for 10 years. Um, but I think he's done a really good job. Now, they, they lost some talent. I mean, he had some real dudes when you had, like, the Kill Harrys of the world. And, uh, I mean, there were some really talented guys that they moved on from. But they did pretty good last year. Can he take that step forward uh, this year? Because they're recruiting at a higher level. So, yeah, I think he's a, he's a way better than I thought he'd be. Well-organized coach. And I think he's doing good things at ASU. Yeah, I think definitely organized, and I think that has been one of the reasons why they've been successful. A lot of times, pro to college just doesn't work out so great because it's you know the 24-7 aspect of the recruiting portion, and I think Herm Edwards has done a great job of delegating you know tasks, and that takes you know being organized. Wob on YouTube says, is there any concern about Orlando moving USC to a 3-3 front when ASU has played against 3-3s and practiced the previous two years? I understand where you look at that and say, you know, maybe they'll, you know, they'll have some extra insights there. But I think Orlando, at least from what we've been told, is going to be enough multiple fronts that he can make adjustments. It's not like they're in a straight three-three-five. Uh, it's more of a of a four-two-five there with three safeties and not exactly a nickelback. I think Drake Jackson's going to be on the end of the line of scrimmage all the time. I don't think that you're going to see necessarily. Kanai Malga, Raylan Goforth, and Pally and ITOT in the game together. So I think it's more of, of a four-man front more often. But they can make adjustments if need be. A couple more questions, and then we'll wrap this puppy up. SNS Production says, does USC maybe have the best defensive line in the Pac-12? Question mark? Multiple mm. questions. I defer to Ryan, but I'm guessing Oregon probably has a better one. I think Oregon's going to be pretty good. I think Cal's pretty good. I got to see what Utah's. You know, they they losing guys like Bradley and I, that's tough, you know. But and Lecky Fotu is yeah, a Lecky was, of a man. He was really Sack good. Lake City. Um yeah, I, and I think Washington got some guys coming back too, but I'd have to I'd have to go through. But I, you know USC's I think the front, you know, the your top three or four guys are, are pretty good. But if you had Jay Tefele in there, I think it would make a, a bigger difference. You know, having Drake outside and Jay inside, I think that's a, that's that's a making for something pretty special. I mean, Washington has the all-name defensive tackle group with Levi and Tuli, Latuli uh, Gasanoa, former USC commit, who yeah. flipped over to Washington. Web Wheels on YouTube says, can any Pac-12 team be considered for a playoff position while only playing six regular season games? Yes, yeah. but it's still going to probably take some help. It's going to depend a lot on what other teams in the country do. You can't just say, 
We went six and zero. Where's our spot? Yeah, and it would be seven and zero after the championship. You'd have to go all the way through, and yeah, you're going to be comparing yourselves to other teams. But we've seen the Big Twelve take themselves out. We've seen one of the powers of the Big Ten almost taking themselves out at this point. Uh, we could see, you know, a team like Florida is already what they've postponed a game or two. Um, you know, there's some, there's definitely some wiggle room there. But you got to see this weird things are going to keep happening. I mean. It's like we're like in January of 2020 as far as college football goes. Like we're, we got a long way to go, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, the SEC, the ACC, you win and you're in basically. But uh, the Pac-12 with the smaller schedule and just not the confidence in the conference uh, makes it that much more difficult. But there are some positives, particularly a game to watch this weekend: Georgia versus Florida. Uh, you know, could potentially be, is basically an elimination game. You know, whichever team loses that game, they're out of the the playoff. And it's still the way I've watched Alabama. I don't see either one of those teams right now beating Alabama in the SEC championship. So they would be eliminated as well, the second team. Finally, final question. Jasper Smith, does USC have a number zero on the team this year? Nope. Womp, womp, womp. womp. Shaka was so excited for that. Yeah. We'll who see, who we'll did see. you want to see? Who did you want to see? Where's Brandon Peely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would be cool. <laughs> Maybe Keenan Kristen. I feel like it would be fast, small, swift. It would work. I don't zero's know. too wide for a you know just a straight speedy guy. Uh, sure. He's more of a an angled like a, a one or kind of something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's the time of the show. I didn't think this would come in 2020. It's your most dreaded part of the show. Game predictions. Dun, 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 dun. How do you think this one is going to go? Shotgun Spratling. I'm uh, putting my money on Arizona State uh, with an 11 point spread. How about that? Nope. We need scores. <laughs> I think USC wins this game. Being at home, uh, I, I think the advantage there, the, even though it's not, there's not fans in the stands, but I think it's going to be close. And this is, it should be a really good game. And it may come down to who makes one more play on defense because you know both these offenses uh, have quarterbacks that are going to put up some points. Yeah, I got USC in a close one too. If I was doing the spread, I would take ASU in the 10.5 or whatever it is. But I think it's going to be more like a 35 31 uh, USC game. But who knows? It's 2020. Crazy things can happen. Uh, my history of football scores is bad. Um, I'm going to say USC 42-21. Ooh, blowout city. Ooh. I, I think it's gonna. Add, it's not going to look like that until like the fourth quarter. Okay. It's going to be late. So they cover the spread. All right. I don't know. I'm just making things up. I think uh, USC is going to win. That's I think how it's how like 35-31 or something. I think it's within one score, and I think there's going to be a good amount of points put on the board because you're going to see some missed tackles and stuff. But we'll see. You, you two just of this offense. You, you never just, know. You just pad tied me. I said 35-31. So you know. I did. Is a pad tie? No, I yeah. I, that's what the score I said. And then shotgun said it'll be something like 35-31. I'm like that's what I said. How about 35-32? Like, okay, right. It's right. gonna be like 14-17, something dumb where you're like, oh, and it's pouring down rain, and USC wins it with a field goal or something. There's got to be something dumb yeah. though. Like gonna, this can't be yes. the opener for the 90 <laughs> unless there's something we're talking about afterwards that's super dumb. Like, yeah, I, that's what I'm gonna put my money on. Yeah, that's right going there. to be something super dumb. Like, <laughs> Twelve what. after dawn, will strike. Is that what you're saying? Yes, there's going to be something you're gonna be like, what was that? Okay, how is there a streaker on the field? No, yeah. Well, that's because <laughs> yeah don't want to think about that um already any final thoughts gentlemen before we wrap this puppy up i just can't wait 
we got some football coming. So, and by the way, we'll be back Sunday. Tunnel Vision recapping what happened, our thoughts, breakdown, and we'll hear from Clay Helton right before the show. So we'll give you the latest news and notes. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We're in our regular schedule Wednesdays and Sundays. So stay tuned. Yeah, Wednesday, Sunday, seven p.m. Hope you can join us. I know we got a lot of people uh, on YouTube right now. So we had yeah, it was like a whole bunch of people watching live. People on Periscope. People on. Facebook. So thank you so much. Where the people are. Yes. We're, we're, we're really happy to be doing this. And it, I can't tell you enough how awesome it is it's on your screen. I guess it's over here to me or whatever. Um, Shotgun Spratling is right here. I know. So. He kept turning and, and talking to us even though uh, yeah, he kept doing that. I was like, Shotgun. Yes. And no, you did a great Maybe job. We shut that door. He's in the other room. So like, you know, we're socially distant. But. So glad to have you back in our general vicinity. Hey, when I turn this way, I'm looking at you guys in the shot as well. So it works out perfectly. No? Okay, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. We have football to cover, and I'm excited. Thanks for watching. We'll be back on Sunday. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all soon. Bye! See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.